Good morning. So glad you're here with us today. And I do want to wish you a happy Father's Day to all of our dads out there, both here in the room and those online. We wish you a happy Father's Day today. But before, and, and I do want to say this, I said this in the first service, uh, while we celebrate Father's Day, uh, we're a church that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And we certainly recognize this is a hard day for some. Uh, this is the first Father's Day without a dad, or maybe you're someone that, you know, you really want to have children, haven't been able to yet, and you're praying for that, and whatever your situation may be, or maybe your childhood might have been a tough and difficult experience, whatever the case is, we know this, we have the greatest father of all. We have our wonderful heavenly father who is perfect in every way, and whether you need comforted today or whether it's to be celebrated today, uh, we do want to wish you a happy Father's Day. And I asked Pastor Brandon if he would not go very far, not because this is his first Father's Day, which is the correct answer. Um, and I know uh, some of you might be coming from the thing of thinking pro-life. I'm all pro-life. Don't get me wrong on that one. I'm just saying, now you're father that you have a child in this world. So uh, we're not giving you a gift for that today. But I had asked him to stick around because in our church, uh, the Church of the Nazarene. In most churches, there's an ordination process that a pastor goes through when you're called by God to enter into the ministry. That's a calling that God gives, we believe, but we are affirm it as, as a church, and the church has affirmed that process. He's taken a lot of classes. Uh, he's done a lot of work, and there's been a lot of sweat and blood and tears and uh, different things that's led up to this point. And uh, we're just excited for his uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, he was ordained on the Kentucky district, which was where he grew up, his home district. Um, personally, I think it's because it's still legal to marry your cousin there, and that's why I think maybe he chose uh, Kentucky uh, versus... Uh, <laughs> so, but it's, uh, it's actually, uh, he could have been Kansas or Kentucky, but Kentucky was his home, and that's where he grew up. We're so glad God brought him from Kentucky to Kansas. He's our high school pastor. Uh, we don't call you to the ministry. God has done that, but we certainly affirm and we congratulate you. Excited not only for you, but we know it's a family journey that Caitlin's been on with you as well. And so this is just a little something from our church uh, that you can take Caitlin and crew out for dinner or do something. Go buy her a bunch of clothes, whatever is that is. You know, five bucks goes a long way, so you can uh, enjoy that, all right? Well, we've been in a series called One. If you're new with us today, it's really been this principle or idea that if we get some the most important things, that one thing in our life figured out, a lot of the other things fall into play. Doesn't mean life is perfect or everything's going to run on easy street or smooth, but if you make some of the big decisions, everything else kind of seems to take care of itself. And so we've been talking about this series of One, and I've been thinking... Um, hear about a, a job that I had when I was uh, in late high school or college. Actually, I've had so many jobs uh, when I was in high school and college that I can't remember. I was trying to think in my mind all the jobs that I've had. I mean, I've been a youth advisor at a juvenile detention center. I've been a preschool director. I've, I've painted. I've I had an old painting company, College Boys Painting. Uh, and, and we also, I worked for the Kansas Department of Transportation. I worked for a toy store. I've done about everything that you can think of. I worked for a furniture store. I mean, I so many different things. I can't remember everything that I've done, but I do remember a boss 
that liked to have a little fun. And when he was working with me and it would be something that where I was lifting the heavy part of things, I was doing the heavy part of the work and he was doing the light part of the work. He would just at that moment say, you know, Kent, if you just help me a little bit, uh, I'm not just one thing, just one thing I'm asking of you, just help me a little bit. I'm not asking for much, just help me a little bit. I was the one sweating, doing all the work, and it was always kind of fun, and it's something that I like to do now if I get the opportunities to kind of play that little bit of a joke. Today's title of the message is One Thing I Ask, and, and I would ask this question of you today, both those of online and those in the room here this morning, if you could ask God for one thing what would it be? I'm not having to answer that out loud, but I do want you to think about that just for a moment. I want to kind of get your answer in your head. What is that one thing? If God said, I'll do anything, you name it, you name it, anything, what is that one thing? As you're thinking about that, I, I was thought about a lot of different things people might ask. You know, uh, it might be to bring that Brad into my life, you know, that we just saw in the video. I just look at God, if you just bring that right man into my life or that right woman into my life, you know, uh, someone to marry. Maybe that's, that's the prayer. Maybe it's, uh, you know, Lord, help, help, help it not to be Brad. I mean, maybe there's some dads here praying that prayer. I, I don't know what things you might be praying for. Maybe someone is here today and it's that struggle to want to have a child and you haven't been able to get pregnant. And, and you just, that one thing would be, God, if you would just help us to get pregnant. Or maybe the one thing would be is, Lord, just heal our marriage. Would you just come in and would you do a supernatural work within us and would you heal our marriage? Or maybe I know there's several and we have been praying in our, in our church because I know of at least about four, maybe more, that, um, uh, and several of them with stage four cancer. And you're just praying, God, heal me of this cancer. Heal, this, heal, heal my loved one of this cancer today or my health. Or maybe you're praying to get that promotion or that job or to be accepted into that program or university or residency. Uh, maybe it's to be free financially or financially secure. I don't know what that one thing is. All those things I just mentioned, none of those are bad. All those are good things. All those are things that probably different ones of us are praying for in our lives, wherever we are at that point. None of them are bad. But what if God asked you today, ask whatever you want me to give to you? What would you ask? Not... I don't want to think too much like a genie in the bottle. I mean, I grew up as a dad of two daughters, and so we watched a lot of Pixar movies and Disney movies, and so one of those is Aladdin. Um, I've seen the production at Disneyland about eight times, you know, kind of the Broadway-type production, and we know that Aladdin gets down to the last and final wish, and he has a choice whether to make a selfish decision and what would be best for him or to make a very unselfish decision. This is actually a question that's not a fairy tale. It's a question that's been asked by God, that God has asked before. But I'm posing it to us today and to you today. Dads, what's that one thing? Moms, what's that one thing? Young people, what's that one thing? Maybe even better yet, what's the best thing that you could ask for? To offer some help for us today, I want to look at two, uh, two dads uh, two incredibly gifted fathers, two incredibly gifted men. I, I want to look at their two very powerful rulers and leaders 
They had a rule and authority over much. Uh, because they were human and they were men just like us, they had flaws. They had things where they messed up. They weren't perfect, uh, but they were talented. And I want to look at their decisions in life today uh, and, and the results of those decisions and how that played out and how it might play out for us. Because I think we're left with similar decisions and choices. You may have figured out already what I'm talking about today and who we're talking about today. We're talking about King David and King Solomon. King David, the dad, the father, King Solomon, the son, who would take over the kingdom of Israel from his father, David. This question that I posed to you this morning was not a fairy tale question, but an actual question that God asked of David's son, Solomon, when Solomon was getting to take over reign of the kingdom of Israel. First Kings 3, 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give to you. And here's what Solomon's response. First Kings 3, 9. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Really what Solomon was doing is he was asking God for wisdom. We've been there. I do that all the time. I'm asking God for wisdom with my marriage, with my family, with, as a leader in, in the community. God, give me wisdom. I, I need it. A good thing to ask for. The result for King Solomon was this is he becomes known as a man of, of, the, of the greatest wisdom and also of wealth. One of the wisest and most wealthiest men to ever live. God granted his request for wisdom, uh, but he also made him very wealthy. And now let's look at David for a moment, his father. Uh, David was not asked this question by God, but actually David went to God or this was a prayer that he asked. We see it in Psalm 27, four. David says one thing. I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. His decision was a decision to ask for God's presence, for, to ask for him to be present in his life and to always be there. And the result was he became known as a man of faith and as a man after God's own heart. We're going to see some of both of their decisions. Not all were good, but the desire of the heart of what they were wanting, and one asked for wisdom, which isn't a bad thing. But I think we're going to look today and say, I think there was something even better. And David asked for that. He asked for God's presence. Wisdom is not a bad thing to ask for. I think it's something we should be asking for all the time. In fact, uh, God commended Solomon, verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, you've not asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never, that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. Man, what a good dream. 
Solomon had just had a great dream. I don't know. You, we all know what it's like to wake up with a bad dream. That's not good. We all know what it's like to wake up with a good dream. I can't remember a lot of my dreams. Heather will wake up and it's like, it, they're like real. And I have to say, I didn't do it. I, that wasn't me. That was something else. Uh, I wouldn't do that. Um, but I, I rarely will remember my dreams, but I have remembered a recurring dream that I've had through my lifetime. And it's been since I graduated from college. Those of you that are new, this is new to you, but for those of you who are here, you can tell my story of my college days playing football that I had five wins and 35 losses. I had bookend seasons, my freshman year, two and eight, my senior year, two and eight, oh and 10, my sophomore year, one and nine, my junior year. I was a loser. And uh, at the end of that four years, after I graduated from the program, the next year, the team went six, three, and one. They had a winning record. And I've had this recurring dream these many years that will come from time to time that uh, the NAI and NCAA gave an extra year of eligibility. And I was eligible to play. And I went back and played. And I played on that winning team. And I became a winner. I was no longer a loser. It was a wonderful dream. But the thing is, I always woke up from that dream and it wasn't true. Now, this last year of COVID, I actually thought it could come true. I thought about calling the NCAA and said, you've given this extra year of eligibility to these students. What about us 50-year-olds, you know, that are, actually, I didn't do that because now it'd be embarrassing to go out there. But my dream never came true. The difference between me and Solomon is Solomon's dream came true. God made him the wisest man to ever live and one of the wealthiest men to ever live. I want us to look at their motives today. All of us ask things. We ask things of God. We ask things of our spouses. We ask things of our children. We ask with motives. Let's look at their motives. And this is my estimation of things. I think Solomon made his request out of asking out of duty. We know that Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. I love these two books. But it seems to me that these are a book of, of, uh, we're going to see in just a moment, things of do's and don'ts. But before that, let's go back to 1 Kings 3, 7, uh, where this is what uh, is written of and recorded of, of Solomon. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. We were talking about maybe a 19 or 20-year-old uh, young man who's taken over for a very successful, he's taken over the family business. He has taken over the enterprise. I mean, he, is, he has huge responsibilities. Who wouldn't pray for wisdom? And so as a young 19, 20-year-old taking over a very successful kingdom, he says, I'm only a child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant here is among the people you have chosen, a great people, two numbers to count or to number. We know that he wrote, he went on to write the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We know that Ecclesiastes, that's where Solomon tries everything in this life. He does it all. He, he tries to feed his life with everything you can imagine. When he comes down, he's like, everything's meaningless, 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 all is meaningless. But I think you can sum up everything in chapter 12, verse 13, when he says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments for this is the duty of mankind. It was a duty for him. And we, I love Proverbs. It's one of my favorite books. I love to read it. One, because it's very practical. But Proverbs is a book of do's and don'ts. 
do this and you will live well. Don't do this and you won't live well. Or do this and you won't live well. Or don't do this and you will live well. It's, it's a book of do's and don'ts. Now David, let's look at his motive. His motive, I believe, was love. We see that from what he wrote in the Psalms. In the 150 chapters of Psalms, he's not the writer of all of them, but he's the writer of the majority of them. And, and you'll see a love fest coming from his heart that he loves God. He wants to have it. Now, he's a warrior. He's a man. I'm, when I say a love fest, and all my dads, all they turn out, you know. So this is a very manly guy. I mean, he fights in battles, and he's at the front of the war. And he, he's an incredible, heroic guy. He's killed his thousands and ten thousands. But you see a man that loves God. And I didn't say this first service, but it hit me now. Real men love God. I believe real men love Jesus. But look at some of the things that he said. You can't read all of them, but things like this. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Keep me as the apple of your eye. I love you, Lord, my strength. There is a, 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 an inv invitation, a presence of love. There's a motive that David wants to love God. I see Solomon, duty. David, love. We see a similar story in the New Testament uh, we were talking about in our life group a few weeks ago, the story of Martha and Mary, two sisters, and Jesus is in their home. And, and one, Martha, is busy in the kitchen, and she's working and preparing and making everything nice for Jesus. And she looks over at her sister, Mary, and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just taking Jesus all in and just listening to him and basking in his glory. And it's making Martha mad. She sees, I'm doing all this for Jesus. I'm doing my duty. I'm working for him. And there you are. You're just enjoying. Uh, you're just getting to have fun with Jesus. And she goes to Jesus and said, you know, Jesus, would you tell my sister, look how lazy she is. Would you tell her to get up off of her fanny and get in the kitchen and help me do some work? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Mary has chosen something better. She's chosen my presence. Duty is not a bad thing. Solomon's duty is not a bad thing. Martha's duty is not a bad thing. But the better thing is the presence of God. Duty is not a bad thing. Love and duty, I believe, coexist. They're, they're partners. Love creates a sense of duty that I believe is honorable. For me, my honorable duty in our household could be looked at just as a duty, or I can do it out of a love. I'm the pooper scooper. It's my job inside and out. With the dog outside, it's me. Any other dads in that same boat? Just a few of us, no dogs or liars or something? Or maybe you're better dads than me. You have your children doing We're gonna, I'm going to start that today. We're going to have, I, I do the outside. Now, the inside's been up back and forth and stuff. And, and while the girls were in high school, they had to alternate days. But, you know, I was doing it most uh, the rest of the time. And so when they came back from college, it was like, okay, guys, here's my rule. That's this. Um, I will do the kitty litter most of the time. It's got to be done every day because we have two of them. Um, but when I ask you to do it, I don't want any questions asked. I just want you to do it. And if you ask any questions or argue about who does it, then we'll just go back to the old method and we'll alternate who gets to do it. My girls are in here today and they're going, this is, let me out of here. This is ridiculous. I didn't ask for this. But there's a, 
I believe actually a love in wanting to do that. I don't want to make the ladies of my house have to do that. It's not a fun job. I think it can be a duty. But duty without love is a drain. Duty without love leads to dead ends. I mean, when a marriage becomes just a duty, when a job becomes just a duty, and there may be those that are watching online or here and you're saying, you know, my job is a duty. Uh, I'm so glad you and Brandon got this calling on your life, but uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a duty for me. Well, I, I believe if you add love to it, it can take on a different purpose, a different significance. I, I, I believe that it's one of the reasons why a, a generation, our grandfathers and maybe fathers, work for the same company for 40 years. Not because they love the assembly line and working in the same place every day, but they went to that job, they went to that work because they did it out of love for their family and it was more than just a duty. It was, it was to provide for their family. I, I remember a time when a job that I didn't like very much and it was at the end of uh, my college uh, days. And actually, I had graduated, getting close to being married and I took on a second job of cleaning truck line toilets for Trans Am Trucking in Olathe, Kansas. And I was cleaning trucker toilets and I went and made amends with uh, JD back there because I love our truckers and things. They do a great job. But I went back there and make sure I didn't offend him because I was like, I I didn't like cleaning the toilets of those truckers because I didn't know what they ate. But it was, it just wasn't fun. It wasn't fun to clean those things. But I'll say this, I didn't mind. I willingly signed up for that because I had a purpose. And that purpose was that money was going to pay for our honeymoon to go on our cruise that next summer. So it was some, when you add love to anything, it gives it a purpose. I was talking with one of my friends in the Ghost Star Church here, uh, David Cox, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about this dilemma that some of our young people, that they're graduating from college or graduating from high school, they're going to trade schools, and, and so often they're hearing this. Uh, if you, uh, you already got the quote. We'll leave it. So, um, uh, but they're hearing this, find your passion. Just go find your passion and do whatever you're passionate about. And, and you'll be happy if you'll do that. And, he, and he's like, I disagree with that because there are things in life that we're not passionate about and there's things that we do. And so I took this from him. He said, you don't have to have a passion for what you do. You just have to have a passion for who you serve. That's what fuels our passion. We can have a duty in our marriage or we can have a love for our marriage. We have a duty for our children or we have a duty for a job or we can... Duty alone leads to dumb decisions and dead ends. Duty alone leads to discouragement. In the absence of love, there's a lust for more. I'm going to look at two things of Solomon and David again. I mean, Solomon, we, we, we see that he made the decision. We're going to talk about this in a minute just to clarify things because if you've never been in church before and this is your first time and maybe you didn't grow up with the Bible or anything like that, you read this and you're like, this is just weird. I'm out of here. Uh, Solomon had 700 wives, and I'm not going to make any smart like jokes about, you know, one's enough or anything like that, but 700 wives and 300 concubines. I don't think the smartest decision. Um, I'm going to say it's a dumb decision, not because it was wrong in that day. We're going to come back to that. David made a decision to commit adultery with Bathsheba and to cover up his sin with uh, having his, 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 his uh, Bathsheba's husband go to the front of the battle, basically have him murdered. 
Both made some dumb decisions. One, really, David's was the sinful decision. It's hard to believe that you look at Solomon and go, what, this wasn't a sin, 700 wives and 300 concubines? It wasn't the sin to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. In, in the Hebrew culture, it was tolerated. I don't think it was God's plan. I think God, you know, there's a place in the New Testament that said, all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And this is one of the things I don't understand it, but in the Hebrew culture, it was something that God tolerated because I believe in Genesis chapter two and three, God made man for one woman and, and you'll leave your father. I just did a wedding this weekend and share this with you. A man will leave his father and mother and be united and cling unto his wife. But somehow many of them, Abraham, uh, Isaac, I mean, all of them had multiple wives. It wasn't the multiple wives that was the problem, but just to bring clarification here today, a reminder that though polygamy was accepted then, a reminder that the scriptures were written for us, but not to us. The scriptures were not written directly to us, but they've been preserved for us, and we can learn from them. But you can't make everything in a, a, a tit-for-tat application. If anyone here is today, uh, let's say, is thinking about another woman in their life or adding another lady to their life, you're not being biblical, you're just being stupid. <laughs> that wouldn't be a smart decision. You can have all the wisdom and knowledge of Solomon and still make stupid decisions. And I thought about this, and I thought most, all of the dumb, stupid decisions that I have made have been the absence of love, has been, uh, has not been, obviously has not been wise, but it was selfish. We've all made stupid decisions. We've all made selfish decisions. So what are we to do about it? We're all, we, we've all fallen short of God's glory and grace. So how do we respond? Well, I think we're given a, a, a clue of how to respond when we look at Solomon and David. One way of obviously of one way not to do it and one way to do it. Let's look at Solomon first. 1 Kings eleven two, they were from nations. He's talking about the women, these, all these wives and concubines. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Your problem may not be 700 wives and 300 concubines, but anything that turns our hearts away from God is not good. Anything that takes our focus away from him and leads us a different direction is not good. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And the Lord became angry with Solomon, verse 9, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. You know, God doesn't just, you know, want, he comes back. He, he gives us more opportunities. He comes back a second time. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's commands. That's one way that we can respond. Then we look at how David responded. David had committed adultery. He'd covered up his act of sin by murder, broken two of the Ten Commandments. And when Nathan the prophet approached him and said, 
This is what you've done. This is how David responded to his sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That's what sin does. That's what guilt does. It saps us of our energy and strength and our best. Then I acknowledged my sin, David said. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Another place it says, have mercy on me, O God, David said. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Remember his prayer, he'd prayed that God, that he would be in God's presence, that all the days of his life, he would dwell in the house of the Lord. Even when he failed and messed up and sinned, his heart leaned back for the presence of God. Do not cast from me your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We see here two decisions with two different outcomes. We see Solomon, uh, he held fast and he turned away from God. He just He'd gone far, so far down that road that it was just hard for him to want to turn back. He fell in love with his old life, and he didn't want to give up. He didn't want to give up his sin. He turned away, even at God's inviting him back. And Solomon's experience then was God's opposition, which I believe God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's what Scripture says. He doesn't oppose us because he hates us. He opposes us because he wants to t- t- us to turn. That's what repentance is. He wants us to change. He wants to have a change of heart and a change of mind. But because he didn't, God opposed him and and the beginning of his kingdom would be divided from him on and future generations would suffer the consequences. Friends, our sin is not personal. Our sin impacts others. Our sin impacts everyone around us. It's not just a solitude decision that we make, but when we sin, it has consequences on those around us and and the people around us and the people that we love. But look at David's decision. David repented and he turns towards God. He agrees with God. God, you're right. I'm wrong. And and he turns direction. He turns back to God. Solomon turns away. David turns toward. The result is David's repentance led to a lasting kingdom and a legacy, one who had a heart after God. One, it could be argued up until the time of, you know, didn't necessarily sin at the beginning, but David, without a doubt, he sinned. And Solomon sinned later by rejecting God, but David willfully sinned against God, and yet God would later say, and we define him now as a man after God's own heart. You see, your sin isn't the end of you. It's just how you respond to it. Our sin doesn't have to be the end of us. It's just simply how we respond to that. Because sin is a slippery slope. Uh, Pastor Aaron, his dad, and I are friends, and I've heard him say this before. 
Sin will take you farther than you're willing to go, keep you longer than you're willing to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. It's a slippery slope. We start off and sin will take you farther than you're willing to go. It's like, oh, this is just one decision. It's just one weekend. I'm just going to do this recreationally. Um, I'm just going to do this as a season of my life. To, you know, it just, it starts with one or two things. And then all of a sudden, five, 10, 15 years go by and we find ourselves stuck in this place. And it's kept us longer than we had planned to stay. And then it costs us more than we're willing to pay. And I think that's where Solomon, I think this is the life of Solomon right here. He was like, you know, I love you, God, but I have these wives and they love their, you know, and, and he had a divided heart and, and his, his loyalties and affections were divided and it just began a slow, slippery slope. And then years later, he found himself with 700 wives and 300 concubines from a, from a different land that drew his heart away from God. And by the time that he got to this place, he loved his life so much at that point that he wasn't willing to turn. And I think we can get to a point that we love that sinful life or we love that, the old life, or the, and, and it can be hard to turn around. Not impossible, but hard. But David chose better. Repentance is the only road back to God. It's the only way to him. Repentance is the only way back to love. Repentance is the beginning of our healing. And as we said Sin doesn't just impact us, it impacts others, but how we respond to that sin doesn't just impact us, it impacts everyone else. And it doesn't impact just us, but it impacts our children and our children's children. I, I believe here today that I'm here today, not, I, I know I made a personal decision, but I believe in large part it's because of a southeast Kansas farmer in Independence, Kansas, Cherryville, Kansas, that at the age of 14 gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And then he shared that with his family, and that was passed on to me, I believe, on my dad's side. It was my dad at the age of 19 when he was confused, and he was broken and lost and didn't know what he was going to do with his life. And he, on a Sunday night after the services were over, instead of turning left and dragging Main Street, he took a right and went to a small little church. And a little lady said, wouldn't you like to find Jesus tonight? And he said, yes. And that night he gave his heart and his life to Jesus, I believe because of my grandfather on one side and my dad on this side and his praying mother who prayed for his grandfather for 50 years that gave it. I just believe our, our, our influence makes a difference on others. And I, I believe that I'm here for that reason. I also believe it's never too late to change the directory of your family. And it may not, may not, work, out, it may not work out the way you'd hoped or wanted. I still believe this about our God, it's at any point, Solomon could have thrown his up his hands and surrender and said, God, I've messed this up. I'm so sorry. Would you, would you fix this? And I believe there have been consequences still. There's always consequences we live with. But I believe God would have uh, been instantaneous forgiveness and restoration and help. And I believe that to be the case today. I think about my, my sister and my brother-in-law. I think about my brother-in-law pastor in Kansas City today. I think about his dad, who when he was a sophomore in high school, was in a broken marriage. I think there had been an affair on the other end and or something that's, there would something happen there, but it was, it took two to make this happen. But his dad was an angry, bitter man and they divorced his sophomore year. 
And in the midst of his dad's pain and brokenness, a pastor showed up in his life because my, dad, my brother-in-law's dad was the captain of the Olathe Police Department. And he had the unfortunate responsibility of showing up on the doorsteps to the next of kin to give them the bad news that someone had died in a traffic accident or he, he, he had to show up for those situations. And he went with a pastor and that pastor happened to be the local pastor at Olathe College Church of the Nazarene. His name was Dr. Paul Cunningham, who has since went on to be with the Lord last year. And my my, my brother-in-law's dad went on to be with the Lord last year. Kind of interested in the same year, 2020, they both went home to be with the Lord. But Reverend Paul Cunningham at the time began to, to, to share with Arlen Siegfried, my brother-in-law's dad, who was broken and hurt and frustrated and angry and divorced and felt like he just, he was pouring this stuff out onto this pastor. And on these calls, Pastor Cunningham just began to love on him and began to share how much God loved him and had a plan for him. And his life wasn't over. There was still a future that God had for him. And in that season of life, Arlen Siegfried gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. He's what we call gloriously saved, forgiven, made a child of God. And my brother-in-law, Sean, that sophomore year began to watch his dad and his junior year began to watch his dad. And he saw a, a man that was angry and bitter and upset at life. He saw him become a man of peace and a gentleman and a, a new creation that was being made in God's image. And Sean began to think, if he can do that to my dad, he can do it for me. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ before he went to college and, and he met my sister his senior year and I didn't know the old Sean, I just knew the new Sean, I just know of his story. But I know that prior to not just his dad's divorce, but his grandparents were divorced on both sides. His great parents, grandparents were divorced. He had known nothing in his life except divorce. It was a part of their family tree. But Jesus Christ came into Arlen Siegfried's heart and changed the divorced man's life, which influenced his children. And his children followed Jesus and Sean called into the ministry. And now he's been married to my sister for over 30 years because that's what God does. He changes lives. If our response will be repentance, if we'll repent, we'll say, God, I'm sorry, I've messed this up, I've blown this. I, I just want your presence. If our heart will be, God, I just want your presence, don't stop praying for wisdom. Wisdom's a great thing to pray for, but the better thing to pray for is the presence of God. The best thing you can pray for is the presence of God in your life. Because when the presence of God in your life comes in, it not only changes you, but has the possibilities and the very good likelihood that it's gonna change others. So on this Father's Day, I don't know who I'm talking to. It may not be a dad, it may be a mom, and it may not be in this room, it may be online, but I do believe that God speaks. And I do believe that God has spoken. And we have two responses today. One is we can have a hardened heart and we can continue to go the old direction and the old way and we can hang on to what we have and say, I'm just gonna plow on through this. I'm gonna keep on to the love and affections that I have. Or we can repent and turn towards God and say, God, I give up. Your future's better for me than mine. I obviously don't what I know what I'm doing, you do. And when we give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, it's gonna change you and it's gonna change others, I promise. Would you pray with me today? Would you stand with me this morning? 
with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I just want to pray a prayer for us today. And those of us that are online, I encourage you to join us too. Father God, I just want to thank you on this Father's Day that we celebrate our dads. We also maybe struggle and have some hurts because of some things from our dads. But whatever the case, we know that you are the perfect heavenly father. You're perfect in every way. And you love us. You love Solomon and you love David just the same. The response mattered though, Lord. Today, you love us all equally. You love us all the same. We're we're all deeply loved by you, but our response matters. Lord, I'm praying right now in this moment, on this Father's Day, I'm praying for open hearts. I'm praying for hearts like David, where just simply say, God, I want your presence. I want your presence in my life. I need you, God. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, no one's looking around. The first question I have for you today is, God, I just need more of God's presence today. I'm not going to call you out, but just, you just sense God spoken to you this morning. Will you just raise your hand today? I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Yeah, I forgot this is ladies too. Ladies, guys, thank you. Thank you. God, Lord, those are online. Those are here in this room. Lord, just by simple testimony of a lifted hand, God, we're saying from our hearts, Lord, we want more of your presence. We want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We want the presence of God in our life. We want to seek you with all our heart. Yes, we pray for wisdom, and we need wisdom. But Lord, more than anything, we need your presence. Because with your presence, we can can make it through any situation. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So Lord, we hunger and ask for your presence today. With your heads bowed and your eyes still closed today, maybe you're in a situation that you've kind of walked you know, slowly like away from God. It's been a gradual process or maybe you haven't come to God and today's your day to say, I'm coming to the first time I'm returning back to him. Some of your hands are already raised, but you just want to raise your hand and say, I want Jesus. I want his presence. I want his love. I want his forgiveness more than anything in my life. I see some hands, but even the hands that I don't see, I know God sees. Lord Jesus, maybe those of you that have your, that had raised your hand, you can put them down, but you just pray this prayer in your heart. Lord Jesus, come into my life or come back into my life. I've maybe walked away from you. Come back into my life. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Lord, that if I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You can make me a man or a woman or a young person after your own heart. So thank you, Lord, today that you love me And your response to me is, here you go. My arms are open wide. I love you. You're my child. Let's go on this journey together. Oh, you're going to make some mistakes still. You're going to fall down still, but I'm going to be there to pick you up. So let's just walk this together. Lord, may we all today on this Father's Day, may we have a desire to seek your presence. Father, we love you today. We thank you, God, that you first loved us. Now help us, Lord, to to follow in your steps and to experience your presence as David did. In the great and powerful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you for being here and spending a part of your Sunday. I hope you have a great Father's Day, and I hope to see you again next Sunday. God bless you.